what happens is then the innovation kind of takes over. The kinds of things that we have regulatory requirements around, such as Stark and anti-kickback, these are things where the government or the required regulatory rules have not quite caught up with where healthcare needs to go for the future. Welcome to Second Opinions, a HealthStream podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the preeminent thought leaders and experts working in healthcare today. In these candid interviews, we're going to hear some alternative views. We're definitely going to challenge conventional wisdom, and we're going to get a little personal, but we are looking for second opinions. Join us. Today we're talking with Cheryl Vaca. Cheryl serves as Senior Vice President and Chief Risk Officer at Providence St. Joseph Health with 130,000 caregivers in seven states. Her responsibilities include oversight for compliance, audit, risk management, and information security. Previously, Cheryl served as the system-wide Senior Vice President for Chief Compliance and Audit Officer at the University of California. Cheryl has received awards from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics, SCCE, and the Healthcare Compliance Association, H. CCA. With over 30 years of healthcare compliance and auditing experience, Cheryl has held varying and increasingly responsible positions in the public and private sectors, including serving as Deloitte West Coast Healthcare Regulatory Practice Leader and National Lead on Healthcare Internal Audit. Cheryl, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here. Cheryl, can you tell our listeners about your healthcare background and the journey that brought you to compliance? I started out in healthcare as a nurse at the bedside, moved up through the ranks of administration and management in the patient care arena, and then moved from there to helping with the governance function of a very large organization in Northern California. When I was serving in that capacity, I was also asked to help to start a compliance program. After developing the program, I was asked to be the compliance officer. Uh, I have been serving in compliance and internal audit since that time and have also branched out into some other arenas in my career as in a healthcare. How do you describe your current role and how has the, that changed over time? We're interested in knowing how you've seen the role change over the years. In areas such as the ACA, what is called Obamacare, and how those changes are occurring, as well as trying to effectively restructure Medicaid and Medicare. It's quite interesting as you go through what is happening politically and then the impact that it might have in the compliance field. For me, we have to especially be cognizant of what is happening nationally, because that is actually what's driving the changes for my focus in compliance. Can you give us a specific example of where you're seeing this play out? If anybody is paying attention nationally, mergers and acquisitions are occurring in healthcare with partners that we would never expect in healthcare. Amazon is an example where they haven't really fleshed out their healthcare focus, but they have made it known that healthcare is at least a shell of an area right now where they they plan to be a partner in. It's very difficult for us anymore to really demonstrate our return on investment. We really have to look at alternative streams of revenue, and we have to look at ourselves differently from being a bricks and mortar hospital organization to really being something that is more valued by our consumers and by our patients. 
So we are moving into arenas such as telehealth, telepsych, tele whatever, just the whole alternatives in providing care that is opening up. We are very oriented to delivery systems that are outside bricks and mortar and going back to trying to bring the services to the consumer where the consumer is. One of our key priorities is to keep individuals from seeking care in the ER or in the hospital. Better outcome would be to be in the community where they are, so we're easy access, we're affordable, and they are seeking preventative care and looking at their overall health. So from a perspective of change, this is really a big change for a compliance professional. When you're trying to look at billing and coding, for instance, is one of the primary risk areas. It's such a, a new delivery focus that in some cases, the billing and coding from the government perspective as a payer they're not as oriented to preventative care. Cheryl, are there any other risks with these alternative streams of revenue? You mentioned the billing and coding aspect. Any other risks that are keeping you awake at night? As we're looking into alternative revenue streams and, and new methods of delivering care, what happens is then the innovation kind of takes over. The kinds of things that we have regulatory requirements around, such as Stark and anti-kickback, these are things where the government or the required regulatory rules have not quite caught up with where healthcare needs to go for the future. As you're looking at these different contractual arrangements and working in these different capacities with partners and trying to mm -hmm. decide, okay, from a regulatory perspective, how might this mm -hmm. affect us? We're actually looking for uh, ways to structure ourselves in a way that will allow us the freedom to do what needs to to be done to be alive in the future. And, you know, conflicts of interest, uh, as I said, Stark and anti-kickback, contractual mm -hmm. obligations, and then keeping up with those contracts and assuring they're executed appropriately, uh, different revenue streams and businesses that honestly would not necessarily be perceived as a healthcare company, like your Amazons or Googles or Microsofts of the future. Our digital innovation teams are looking at apps and ways to get to the consumer, just like the airlines are, just like retail is. You talked about how really compliance has to be up at the top of the organization when high-level strategic decisions are being made. How would you recommend someone in your role get that seat at the table. It is really important to recognize that we won't all be at the seat at the table the first day that we might be a compliance professional. But as individuals in the organization understand the value that a compliance officer's input can bring, and they understand how much time and effort could be saved if a compliance officer was identified as part of the necessary team when the discussions were occurring, over time, that value will be recognized and result in a change of inclusion. Where you have the opportunity to be at the seat at the table, one of the key things I've found is that I can't be overreactive to everybody's ideas by saying, no, 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 we can't do that. There's just no way we can have that relationship with this with this group of physicians. Instead, the approach that I try to do is say, here's some facts, here's the pros and cons related to those facts from my viewpoint, 
And here's how I think going forward, what you have to watch for. I view myself more as the guardrail more than as the naysayer. And I think that's really appreciated in the organization, but I rarely walk into an executive team and say, thou, thou shalt not. It's not perceived well. It's not welcomed. And frankly, uh, it, it is not a way to get included in conversations that people are just trying to talk out loud and, and filter through what they need to. Can you talk a little bit about the unique compliance demands as care moves outside of the hospital walls? From a perspective of meeting the consumer, if you think of yourself and, and what you like uh, as far as access and affordability and ease, um, we always use this phrase, ease my way. From a strategic perspective, getting to you at home includes allowing you to be able to make a phone call and get assessed or going through a teleprompter and giving your symptoms and identifying what needs to happen. Uh, we're doing pharmacy prescriptions, of course, online, and they go right to the retailer and then get our prescriptions filled there. When I first started my nursing career, we were doing home visits. Physicians were making home visits all the time. And of course, that has evolved. We are actually going back now to say, you know what, these particular people, they need to be case managed because of their diagnosis, perhaps COPD, in-stage renal disease, CHF, a cardiac uh, heart failure. Those are all diagnoses that require ongoing and continual monitoring to keep them out of the hospital. And so as you think about these different monitoring mechanisms, they may be a person, they may be an app, they may be a, a telephone call, they may be a device that they're actually wearing. We want to assure that every one of those pieces that we're using to help monitor these individuals so that they don't wind up in the ER, that they're consistent and that they're utilized in a manner that's appropriate. And I think my compliance risks are evolving as the delivery mechanism is evolving. Normal things like home care and infusion therapy and rehab and physical therapy, those were all parts of what we always did in the healthcare arena. But it's how we're delivering those particular services now and the settings that we're delivering them in um, may be changing for an organization. And that's where we have to pay particular attention uh, if there is regulatory requirements around that. One really important area for us to think about is healthcare compliance staffing and hiring. Are you seeing a different kind of skill set or, or a different kind of person you're looking for? In our past, I really needed to be somebody who understood healthcare. They at least needed a few years of background in healthcare and at least uh, had a sense of where the regulatory aspects were, understood how the government pays, because in healthcare, 60% of our payment comes or more comes from a government agency. That was actually one of the primary sort of experience qualifications that you looked for because of the kind of agency they might be in healthcare. Some preferred law degrees, some preferred clinical. What I'm seeing is if an organization is truly moving towards innovative thinking around their healthcare structure, they're actually looking for people outside of the healthcare industry, which is almost frightening to me because how could someone coming from an airlines industry be able to come into 
healthcare and truly understand how healthcare functions. So this is not a norm at this point. This is really edgy. But from a healthcare perspective, there's quite a few organizations who want to move to that innovative, creative state of well-being. They're looking for those people who can work in those other environments and understand the basics of compliance and can apply those. But then, of course, you have your healthcare people who have the subject matter expert that report to you, but your role as a compliance officer is to actually look forward and identify how you could evolve and what what might be some of the regulatory aspects for consideration. I mean, if you think about what's happening with our world of healthcare right now between Apple and Amazon and even CVS Health and Aetna, I mean, all these different changes in acquisitions that's occurred most recently, you know, a healthcare background is very, very helpful. But when you talk to Apple, you talk to Amazon and Amazon's looking at the wholesale pharmaceutical in 12 states and the acquisition of generic drug company, et cetera, you know, they're not going to look for necessarily the traditional healthcare uh, oriented, hospital oriented healthcare compliance officer. They're going to look for maybe somebody who has pharmaceutical background, but they're especially going to be very interested in someone who has wholesale and retail background, because that's what's going to be very important. And then, of course, you will fill your team with subject matter experts to help support that leader. So it is different. It is evolving. It's not moving quickly. But frankly, my company, when they hired me a year ago, was not looking for a specific healthcare background individual. They actually were looking for somebody outside of healthcare who could think beyond the bricks and mortars. From a skill set perspective, those coming into the field would be smart to add any kind of digital or IT experience to their backgrounds. But if you can have a team that has that background, if you can think about moving quick and evolving to new beginnings or new creations of ideas, that's a skill set that is especially being looked for in the future. We've interviewed people in all different aspects of healthcare, talent, HR, uh, learning and development. They're all saying the same thing about this kind of new trend of looking outside of the healthcare background where they're bringing on these new leaders. So it, it's not unique to compliance, which I'm, I'm very surprised to hear you say that. Again, if you use my company as an example, my, our CFO came from Microsoft. And he is bringing in some key strategies that the company may or may not have thought about before. Now, he's surrounded by people who do have healthcare background and expertise. So as he is strategically trying to move forward, but one of the things that he especially brings to us is the thoughts around different ways of doing things that if you were baked in healthcare for 30 years like I am, you know, I may not necessarily always think like that. I think it's the same way in every industry where um, people are trying to bring in different viewpoints of different segments of industry so that we can foster the, the actual wins that these other industries have had in our own industry and capitalize on those, those ways that they've done that. If you think about 
the airline industry and how they have changed. Um, who would have thought that from an airline perspective, we could have done everything we needed to do online and then some. From a healthcare perspective, our challenge is why not? If you look at Sam's Club and Costco and the changes that are occurring around there, the millennials are going to Amazon and they're getting their delivery within the same day. It's the same kind of thing that healthcare has challenges for as well. As you look out over the next five to 10 years, what do you think's ahead for healthcare compliance? What used to be driven by a hospital-based service is probably going to lose some of the payment. It already is losing some of the payment system that we've relied on in the past. And even our payers are saying, enough. Hospitals are costing us too much money, and we need to focus on how to deliver care differently. Even CMS is changing what will be paid for in the hospital versus outpatient. They're setting incentives for providers to go outpatient Our contracts right now that we have and the different ways that we do things are really draconian. I think it's going to be critical to understand that we are really going to be driven in a different way than what we have in the past. I was just visiting our Texas sites and there are standalone ERs that are able to say because of the kind of facility they are, we will take no Medicare, Medicaid patients. And so it's for profit only. And I think there will be more and more of that as we go forward. So there's this balance of needing to care for our communities and then needing to be able to pave our way so that we will still be here to be able to provide services. The compliance professional is going to be very challenged in looking at those alternatives, identifying what the key compliance risks would be related to that, And then helping an organization to think of different ways from an innovative perspective of moving forward while being compliant with whatever rules or regulations that do apply. Are there any things that you've seen happen that have really taught you lessons about how to approach the central task of your job? You know, a compliance officer is a little bit jaded. We tend to get kind of the worst of the worst sometimes. It isn't always easy to to think of the positive outcomes and the achievements that have been occurring when our table sometimes is filled with the problems. I'll just say that uh, as a compliance officer in many different ways, actually, I've been quite educated by my my caregivers and, and those in the field on why things occur. And examples of that include anything from truly providing care with good intention to a particular population and not realizing that there are certain standards and regulations that apply to us giving that care. And the outcomes might be better for the population, but the regulations say you can't do it that way. Another example are things where we think it's a great idea for a particular contract, perhaps, to be in a partner to be developed. And as it turns out, that partner is a competitor. That partner is somebody that actually would not meet any exceptions of Stark. And we are now in a business arrangement with a very serious situation that uh, many did not think about because it seemed like it was the best thing to do for the good of all. It's sometimes very innocent. And then sometimes I've seen actual war stories, unfortunately, or heard of them 
where individuals have actually done harm to patients for their own behalf. And some examples of that are things where a payment system helped to promote bad behavior. We were incentivized to do more by the payment system, but we didn't meet the basic requirements of medical necessity. So as I go through my career and I think about all these different scenarios, there are quite a few that probably would hit the top of anybody's list. I've heard from an agency where they had temporary nurses that were coming from another country, and they actually were part of a human trafficking ring. Until we asked for passports and credentials and different things like that, we had no idea that this was occurring in our particular arena. So it's things like that that a compliance officer just has to be on the ready for. You have to be careful, as I started out, not to become too jaded because the world actually is brighter and better outside of sometimes these crises that we intervene on. The Me Too movement and, and sexual harassment, it's all over the news. Uh, have you seen any changes or anything's happening in the healthcare world that reflect the same thing that's happening on a national level? Previous to this role, I was at the, at the University of California in a public school setting Um, Sexual harassment is a very huge issue in colleges. What I'm finding in healthcare is that we're, we're slow to come around related to sexual harassment. I mean, there are allegations of harassment and retaliation in different cultures in healthcare. And we know that if we don't respond and, and react quickly, basically that fear will clamp down on the person wanting to share anything further, and they will live in that environment in a very unhealthy state. With sexual harassment, there's always this hierarchy of who's sort of the king or queen of the setting. And very commonly in healthcare, the physician has been that point person. And what they say commonly has gone as we're going forward, we're we're starting to see some aspect of this in our environments. But honestly, I'm not confident that it's been pervasive in healthcare, but I haven't necessarily seen increases in uh, allegations of sexual harassment over the last few months or year. Do you have best practices that you would offer around this topic of sexual harassment if you were a young compliance officer starting out? This topic is very cultural oriented. For me, I think the first thing is that you've got to make your leaders aware of what are the right things to say and the wrong things to say or do. And I think the awareness aspect, talking about how it's changed before you might give somebody a hug or you might say, oh, nice going and punch them in the arm or whatever. Uh, and now, honestly, there's so much more sensitivity around any kind of physical touch or activity. And, you know, in some cases, I think that's rightly so. But I think we are actually expecting more from everyone's interactions to First, get permission that it's okay to do things the way we used to. Like, I want to hug you, then you know, you should ask, is it okay if I hug you? Uh, These are all things that are quite hard for individuals who are, uh, you know, this is their norm. They've never had any sexual identity associated with it. It's just something that they do for compassion. It's very difficult to change those behaviors. So I think training 
having a policy is always good, of course, is around where people go when they feel that they have something they want to discuss and then how they report it and then making sure that that report gets acted on quickly and timely. But then the awareness and training are absolutely things that have to happen. And frankly, in our environments, because again, of the you know, sort of the power base of our different levels of individuals, you know, physician still holds quite a bit of power mm-hmm. in our arena. They are the person who makes the key decisions around the care that individuals are receiving. So is that power base influencing whether an individual is going to be fearful in reporting what is going on? And so it is important culturally, especially to get to every aspect of where care is being provided and assuring that individuals are feeling that they're in a safe environment and one that honestly, if they see it, they can say it. Thank you for listening. You can learn more about what we've talked about today by visiting our website at healthstream.com slash podcast. For more second opinions, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can also subscribe on our website, on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. 